All right. I want to say good evening. Um, it's good to be back up here. You know, it's it's kind of weird. I, I talk to you guys all the time, for the most part, probably every single person in here. But it is still a nervous thing to kind of get up here and and speak. So bear with me as as I go through this lesson today. So our question that we are addressing today is our catechism question number 88. And the question is, are all transgressions of the law equally heinous? And the answer is, some sins in themselves and by reason of aggravation are more heinous in the sight of God than others. All right, so let's just pray as we get started. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you today, Lord God, just thank you for this day, Lord God. Thank you for this lesson and the time that, you know, uh, I spent trying to answer this question, answering it thoroughly, Lord God. And let's see in the importance of this question, Lord. So, dear Heavenly Father, just, uh, you know, even, even calm my nerves, Lord God. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So. When when Paul asked me if I, you know, was up to the challenge of bringing this message, you know, I, I told him, I said, ah. he, he, he's laughing already because I said, Paul, I, don't, I don't even know what that question means. Dude. <laughs> like, well, at least the answer, I, the answer was really the more the part that was a little more confusing. But so, you know, as I as I begin to look at it, I begin to see that the question is not an overly complicated question to understand. Essentially, we're asking the question, are, are all sins equally bad? And this is actually a very pertinent question for today. And it's not that it wasn't in any other time, but we, we are seeing this more and more today. That uh, one thing that we are beginning to do that we are seeing in our time that men are becoming experts in downplaying sin. Right. We have learned to flatten sin so that. No sin is greater than any other sin. The, the homosexual and the adulterer have become the same. The racist or even the perceived racist or descendants of racist or whatever part of a racist you want to talk about are murderers. You know, even, even if it was their ancestors, we don't even know if the ancestors were murdered. Um, also, you know, uh, young ladies seeking abortions have been downgraded to victims. Even though they are the person who is seeking to hire someone to murder their babies. So <clears throat> what we have to agree on is that sin is being downplayed today. Uh, gone are the days of nominalism. We now have Christian colleges apologizing to plants and asking for penance. Uh, you know, this is just paganism posing as, you know, pious Christianity and I just want to say I'm, I'm not arguing that nominalism is good, that we should seek for nominalism. But I, I am arguing that not our sins are the same heinousness to God. So the, the question that that we're going that is the question we're going to ask. Are all sins equally heinous or equally bad in God's eyes? And I would say just right off the bat, the answer is no. Does God see all sins? Of course he does. Proverbs 15, 3 says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping a watch on the evil and the good. 
God sees all sins. And as we will see uh, next week, that all sins deserve the wrath and curse of God, both in this life and in the next. So, but let us seek to understand at, at this point that uh, not all sins are the same. Uh-huh. Now, oh, that's another thing I want to say, too, because I mentioned downplaying the sins, right? I, I don't want to make it sound like the only reason people don't agree that sins are are different or way different. It's not all because of ill motives. <clears throat> you know, after all, J- James does tell us whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable or guilty for it all. So honestly, you know, we will answer that question but i mean i think it's a it's a reasonable assumption if we look at those things also you'll hear me now and then uh ask a few questions um you know i i was very grateful um paul sent me some stuff from uh, shortercatechism.com and also reform.com uh no it's reform.org so they, they helped kind of because that was the thing I was worried about a little bit is it was like I can I kind of know what I want to say, but it was kind of hard putting this lesson in, in order, like it, like formatting it. It was, it was a little difficult. So if you hear me ask a few questions, it's probably from one of those websites. And the first question I want to ask is, what do we understand of some sins being more heinous than others? And the answer would be what we mean by more by more heinous is that they are more abominable, hateful, and offensive to God than others are. So if we can, let's look at Ezekiel chapter 8. All right. And we'll, we'll start at verse 1. And we'll read right now to to verse uh, seven. Um, In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me. The hand of the Lord fell upon me there. Then I looked and behold, a form that had the appearance of a man. Below what appeared to be his waist was fire. And above his waist was something like the appearance of brightness, like gleaming metal. He put out from his from a hand and took me by a lock on my head. And the spirit lifted me up between the earth and heaven and brought me in visions to God to God in Jerusalem. To, to the entrance of the gateway of the inner court that faces north. Where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy? And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the valley. Then he said to me, son of man, lift up your eyes towards the north. So I lifted up my eyes towards the north and behold, the north, behold, north of the altar gate in the entrance was this imagery of jealousy. And he said to me, son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel are committing here? To drive me far from the sanctuary, but you will see still greater abominations. So 
Here we see that God has brought Ezekiel to the temple in Jerusalem. And as he entered the temple compound, uh, the temple was made, the temple was made for a dwelling place for the Lord. But as we see here, we see the image of an idol. They didn't tell us who the idol was because the idol was insignificant. But what was significant was the way that this caused the Lord to react. It is simply called an idol of jealousy. And while people are committing great abominations already, the Lord in verse six says. You you will see still greater abominations. OK, and this is actually kind of a long passage. So for the sake of time, I just kind of summarized it. So after viewing this image in the entry and after viewing this image at the entrance of God, uh, at the entrance, God brings Ezekiel to a hole in the wall and tells him to dig in the hole. Inside, God calls him to witness vile abominations and Engra uh, engravings. And this is if you kept writing down verse eight, you'll see this to say engravings from every creeping thing and loathing beast. And all the idols of the house of Israel. We all, uh, we also see 70 elders worshiping these idols and burn against us. But even with this vile abomination that God, God calls it, uh, he tells Ezekiel again in verse 13, you will see even greater abominations that they commit. Then Ezekiel is taken to the north gate and he sees a woman weeping for Tamzu. Uh, Tammuz, I'm not really sure how to say his name, Tammuz. <laughs> we are not told who, the, who these women are or why they are weeping. It is possible these women are temple, temple prostitutes and that this is a weeping cult, but we're really, we're really not told like why. But what we are told, what we do see is that God does not view these incidents the same. And while we can look at God's law and see that all that all sins aren't weighted the same, God also reserves the right to claim some sins greater than others without being overly apparent to us. We see we see the same thing in uh, John first John five, uh, seven, I mean, 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin leading to death, he shall ask. And get, and God will give him life to those who commit sin that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that one. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. Okay. So this passage, this passage again doesn't necessarily specify the sin that leads to death. I know that we've had discussions about that a lot before, you know, and I mean, it doesn't really tell us what the sin is. But it says, uh, while the apostle is affirming that all wrongdoing is sin, he is also affirming that not all sins are equal. There is one that leads to death and one that does not. Uh, Jesus tells Pilate in his sin of cowardice and complacency that the one who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So we see that God clearly said that uh, clearly says that that things are more abominable and greater sins. But how else can we tell that some transgressions are more heinous than others? And the answer that that's a question. That's another one of those questions. 
The answer is, we can tell from the different degrees of punishment inflicted for the committing of the transgression. Obviously, those sins requiring a death penalty would be more heinous than those requiring restitution. And on top of that, I just want to say that not all sins are crimes. So that principle is not exclusive, but it does give us a metric that we can kind of determine which degrees, you know, which degrees of sin is more heinous than the others. Some commands God gives and there is no civil penalties. But that's because God alone deals with those things, such as taking care of the poor. We see that uh, with the gleaming of the, the, the of the wheat. So and, and God, God will take care of those things. He's either going to, you know, give people blessings, the reaping and sowing what we talk about. Right. Um, so question. So what is what is it for a transgression to be more heinous in themselves? Answer. For transgressions to be more heinous in themselves means that they are heinous in their own nature, though no other aggravating circumstances should attend them. These sins are primarily those sins committed immediately against God and the first table of God's law, though some sins against the second table are more heinous in themselves. First uh, Samuel 2:25 says, if someone sins against man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? And these were the words of Elijah. Not, not Elijah, I'm sorry. These were the words of Eli as he confronted his sons about their wickedness and the defilement of God's holy places. Uh, and this was blasphemy. And then we see the incident with the golden calf. Uh, while Moses was on the, while Moses was on the mountain, the people of Israel, they were down there fashioning idols and worshiping it, uh, even giving it credit for the deliverance uh, that Yahweh had given to the people. In response, God says, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff necked people. Let, now, let me alone that my wrath may burn against them and my, I may consume them. And while God ultimately relented from destroying the whole nation, we read in verse 28 that. Uh, 3,000, 3,000 men had died that day, right? Um, the Lord takes his worship serious and he, uh, and he says, I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. He takes his name serious. He says, you shall not take the name of the Lord, your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes the, the, uh, the Lord's name in vain. Idolatry and blasphemy are more heinous in themselves. It does not matter who the culprit is. These are more heinous transgressions than those against men. Now, when it comes to the second table transgression, murder is more heinous than adultery and adultery more heinous than theft. Um, yeah, so yeah, adultery is more heinous than theft. Which is, you know, it's kind of funny in our culture because uh, sexual sins have been taken off the naughty list. Uh, any kind of sexual sin is, you know, allowed as long as, you know, that magic word, that consent. So we have open marriages and which, in my opinion, may be worse. The open marriage 
you know, because as uh, R.J. Rushdoney puts it, adultery is treason against the family. Right. This is uh, this is worse than even treason against the state, because the family is the foundation of society. God has placed the family as foundation of society. Um, and we now we also have not besides the open marriages and these things, we have rampant promiscuity before marriage. Uh, the LGBT community has gone crazy. Fifty one fifty with all their perversions, even to the point that we can't even say what's a man anymore or. You know, like Matt Watts say, what's a woman? Um, and they justify all this with the lame excuse of we're not hurting anyone. But the fact is, they are hurting people, whether they know it or not. Sexual sin is very damaging. Even still, back to the commandments, death is more heinous than lying and lying more heinous than covenant. Uh, there are even sins more heinous than others within the within the commandments such as in the case of murder versus manslaughter. And and this is this is where we move into uh, adding those aggravations. Right. Right here, we, we read. Uh, actually, I forgot to put the passage here. Sorry, y'all. But we'll, we'll know it. We'll recognize it. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. But if he did not lie and wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint you a place to which he may flee. If, however, a man acts presumptuously towards his neighbor so as to kill him craftily, you are to take him even from my altar that he may die. So as we look at that, we begin to ask ourselves another question. What are these aggravations that make some sins more heinous than others? And the answer is sins receive their aggravations, one, from the persons offending, two, from the parties offended, three, from the nature and quality of the offense, and four, from the circumstances of time and place. And then, so what we're going to start, start moving into those and then start breaking those down. Um, when, when we're talking about the persons offended, we are to consider their age, gifts, and office. The English Puritan, Thomas Vincent, put it this way. The sins of magistrates, ministers, parents, the aged, and all govern governors are more heinous in the same kind than sins of subjects, people, children, the younger, and those that are under government because of the ill example and ill influence of the sins of the one beyond the older. So again, can we turn to First Kings chapter 14? And uh, I will read verses 7 through 10. Uh, and the background is uh, a little bit Jeroboam, his his son was sick. So he was sending his wife trying to go in secret to go talk to the uh, the priest at that time. No, the prophet. Ahijah, uh, how do you say his name? Ahijah. So he was the prophet Ahijah. And so but this is what what uh, God is, is telling 
Ahijah to tell uh, Jeroboam's wife. Because she tried to disguise herself, but, and, and it said that Ahijah was blind, but God had already spoken to him. So that's how he knew that, that she was, she was coming. He says, go tell Jeroboam. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you exalt, no, because I exalted you from among the people and made your leader over my people, Israel, and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. And yet you have not been like my servant, David, who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart, doing only that which was right in my eyes. But you have done evil above all who were before you and have gone and made yourself other gods and metal images, provoking me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring harm upon the house of Jeroboam and cut and I will cut off from Jeroboam every male, both bond and free in Israel and will burn up the house of Jeroboam as a man burns up dung until it is gone. And then we skip down to verse 16, where it says, and he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned and made Israel sin. So yeah, that's, that's what it's kind of saying as, as when it's talking about those magistrates that have the influence over the people, you know, um, because the background of Jeroboam was Jeroboam was the first king of the northern kingdom after God had broken up the kingdom. Yeah, he told, I believe he told Solomon that he was going to break it up. But this is after Rehoboam had came on the scene and said he was going to place even heavier weights on, on the people than, than his father, uh, Solomon. So he had broken up the kingdom during the reign of Rehoboam because of the tyranny and heavy taxes Rehoboam had placed on the people. The people chose Jeroboam to be king. When Rehoboam had gathered troops to go out to restore the kingdom, God intervened, telling Rehoboam, you should not go up and fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. So while the people chose Jeroboam, it was actually God who had given the kingdom to Jeroboam. Now, Jeroboam, in his arrogance, said in his heart, and this is if we go back to 1 Kings 12, but I'm just going to kind of summarize it. Now, now, the kingdom would turn back to the house of David. He believed that if the people would keep going up to Jerusalem, now a part of the lower kingdom of Judah, they would also return to Jeroboam. I mean, not Jeroboam, Rehoboam. So Jeroboam made two calves of gold and told the people, you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. And then went on to say, behold, your gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He had built temples and high places for worship. Even appointed priests uh, that were not from the Levites. He even made up his own feast days. So, so Jeroboam was—he was just running amok. He—he he didn't want to lose his kingdom, and and because of and because he was in office that gave sway to the people, Jeroboam was judged more severely. Not only would he be cut off, but God brought harm to his household. And cut off every male in Jeroboam's lineage. All right. Another factor that we take into account for making transgressions more heinous from the offending parties is the amount of light, the amount of light that the party has. So in uh, Matthew 11, 21 through 24, uh, let's turn it down. 
Yeah, Matthew 11. Twenty-one to twenty-four. You beat everybody there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So this is Jesus speaking here, and he says, "Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida!" For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you and you, Capernaum. Will you will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. So the Jews have been given plenty of light. And Paul even says, you know, he they ask the question, well, what advantage is there to being a Jew? Paul in Romans 2 says the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God, which he calls an advantage much in every way. So yet, and yet they still sinned against God. So this is why God was going to judge them harder than he would judge a lot of these pagan nations. All right. The sin, the sin of professing believers are more heinous than those who do not profess. The writer of the Hebrews says, you know, we can turn to that one too. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10. And it's going to be 26 through 31. Yeah, I think you read this last week. We're going to read it again. Yeah, chapter 10, 26 to 31. You, you let Pastor Nick beat you and you got a phone? I did, yeah. <laughs> hey, for, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sin but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he is sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So as we see, you know, we have more, more light. So, you know, as a, as professing believers than than people who do not profess at all. And then uh, so now. Let's jump in. This is just a few examples, too. I mean, as I was looking at this, I mean, there were plenty of examples, but I just want to keep it keep it flowing. So now we're going to look at the sins received, how, how sins received their aggravations from the party sinned against. Right? So Paul Washer says, 
If to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, uh, soul and mind is the greatest commandment, then to break it must be the greatest sin. So naturally, sins against God are more heinous than sin against others. We've already touched on first Samuel two. I mean, first Samuel two twenty five. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? We we see this also in Acts five with Ananias and Sapphira. After Ananias lies about the price he sold his property for, Peter says, why is it that you have contrived uh, this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. So lying to man is bad enough, but but lying to lying to God, you know, a man. I mean, no, I'm sorry. But when we lie to God, we see that he laid a man and his wife down to rest. You know, I, I tell my kids often that no one likes a liar. And while and while we may stop dealing with liars, for the most part, we're we not killing. <clears throat> so right along with sins against God are sins against Christ and his grace. All right. And. When I talk about Christ, I don't I mean, that's kind of talking about Christ in his in his in his form when he came down, not not trying to separate the Godhead and those things. So if we look at Hebrews two. Uh, verse one. We're starting at verse one. It says, uh, therefore, we must pay closer attention to the to what we have heard, lest we drift away. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or dis disobedience received no, or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we say uh, sorry, y'all. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. So, so we see, so we see that uh, if the first one, if if at first we were, uh, we we received the just trans address just penalty for sinning against the law that Moses gave to us, even much more what we. Will we be judged to sin against the grace and the salvation that that Jesus has has given to us? This is this is Hebrews. I'm sorry. This is Hebrews uh, 12, 25. I just read this is one verse. See, see, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking for if they did not escape. When they refuse him who warned them on earth, how much less will they escape if they reject him who warns from heaven? So, again, we, we see how, how much more the, the book of Hebrews is telling us that if we sin against Christ and the grace that he showed us, that that we're going to be judged even greater. So then we move into sinning against the Holy Spirit and his witness. And we can we can start with uh, Matthew. We can see this passage that, that there's been a lot of controversy over this one as well. Matthew twelve thirty one. Therefore, I tell you, every sin 
and blasphemy will be forgiven people. But blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. So while we do see a little mystery in this text, uh, the text is not so mysterious that we can't catch what's happening. Jesus had just cast a demon out of a man, and he is telling the Pharisees that he has done this by the power of the spirit. Yet they are claiming it was by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of the demons. Jesus is here warning them that they are very they are they are crossing the line that they can't that they can't cross back over. And if we stayed in the book of Hebrews, if we're still in the book of Hebrews, we can turn to Hebrews chapter six, verses four through six. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gifts and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore themselves again, no, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Now, I believe the immediate context of this passage is warning those Jews after coming to the New Testament community and they are seeking to go back into Judaism and to the temple. But nonetheless, it still stands that the Holy Spirit is the one who joins us to Christ and his community and to turn away from to turn away from what he has brought us to. Um, or seemingly brought us to, obviously. I mean, I don't believe that we can lose our salvation as true believers, but even those who turn to the community of faith profess to be believers and, and walk away, that, that we see that, uh, that they, they become a point where <clears throat> God holds them to a higher content. So another way sins are aggravated are by the party offended it's to sin against those God has given authority over you. And looking at parents, if we look at Proverbs 30, uh, I, I, this is one verse again, too. I'll just read it. Proverbs 30, 17. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be will be picked out. Oh, the eye. Yeah, the eye. Sorry. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens on the valley and eaten by the vultures. In, in Matthew, in Matthew 15, while rebuking the Pharisees about forsaking the law of God for the traditions of men, particularly for them forsaking the aid of their parents in order to look like something special, they, they wanted to, instead of helping their parents, they wanted to give these gifts before people so they can look like, you know, they're very spiritual. Uh, Jesus said to this, he said, for God commanded, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. Jesus was referring to God's law in Exodus 21, 17. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. So. Another aggravation of sin towards these in authority is, is uh, your superiors that God has placed over you. In Exodus 12, I think we could turn to Exodus 12. Exodus 12, starting at verse 1. 
guys. So, um, oh, I said Exodus. I'm sorry, you guys. Numbers 12. Numbers 12. Miriam and Aaron had spoken against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward and he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And behold the form of and and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against him, and he departed. So after establishing Moses' superiority over over them, you know, um, he says, "Why were you not afraid to speak against my servant?" And the Lord's the Lord's anger was kindled and he struck Miriam with leprosy. And ordinarily, if someone struck with leprosy, this would have been a death penalty or a death sentence. But Moses prayed for the Lord to relent and he did. So while there are. Um, actually, I actually got a lot of time, but I didn't know as I was writing it, I, I, this was like 10 pages. So I'm actually probably going to be done earlier, but I did want to address the. A few things, right? I wanted to address. So while there were, there were still, there's a lot of these aggravations and these were just a few to give an example. Um, I did want to touch on, you know, some of the, well, at least one of the objections, the big one that I mentioned in the beginning. James chapter two. Let's turn to James chapter two. And we'll read at verse 10. All right. Verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Now, just from first glance, if we read this passage, it does begin to say that all sins are on the same level. Um but is is that what James is doing here? Is he telling us that all sins are on the same level? No, I don't think so. This this text actually has it says nothing about the equality of sin at all. It simply says if you fail at one point, you become guilty of it all. It does not say if you fail at one point, you fail at all or become guilty of every point. Uh, even it even goes on to say. If you do not commit, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, 
you have become a transgressor of the law. It does not say now you are a murderer and a transgressor. So what does it mean to be guilty of it all? Well, first we must ask, what is what is all of it or all of what? And James tells us that it is the whole law. The whole law as in the totality, not each individual piece. And uh, here's an analogy or an example. I'm not a real estate lawyer, but if you let's take a rental agreement, for for example. Now, if there are several things in a rental agreement. But we're going to just name a few. You must pay your rent on time, no pets and no moving people in that are not on the lease. And let's say you always pay your rent on time and you hate animals, so you never get a pet. But. Your favorite cousin thinks it would be a great idea if you guys can hang out all the time and, and they just want to move in together. Now, the problem is your lease expressly says that you cannot have someone move in that is not on the lease. So while you obey all the other parts of the lease. You have still broken your lease and you are guilty of breaking the whole lease, but you are not guilty of breaking every individual part of the lease. And though the lease is broken, the landlord may place different sanctions on different parts. In the case of your cousin moving in, the landlord may just give you a small fine until you handle these things properly and put your cousin on the lease. But if you stop paying your rent, you're definitely going to have to go. Now, there is a difference between the law and that lease, though. If you break the lease, the worst case scenario is you may have to look for another place. By breaking by breaking God's law, you are racking up God's wrath and buying a one way ticket to hell. Again, next week. I'm not, I'm not sure who's preaching. Who's preaching this for you? Oh, Steve. So, so next week, Steve, he's going to deal with what does all sin deserve? So I don't really want to go too deep into that that issue. But while we agree that all sin will send you to hell, like we've seen in the passages dealing with the judgment of Terazin and Bethsaida, God is going to judge them greater than Tyre and Sidon, which from the context seems to be in hell. So there, there may be different judgments in hell. I, mean, I, I tend to believe that. I don't know if everybody here does. And then after that, in two weeks, we will we will get into our great hope, the the requirements to escape the wrath. That oh, to, no, the requirement to escape the wrath that all sin deserves. But I can't just leave you looking at all the judgment without at least sharing that God has made a way of escape. I beg you, if you are here. And you've heard this long and you heard this long but still abbreviated list of heinous sins. And you see yourself in this list of sins, trying to bear the weight on your own or even worse, thinking you can maneuver through them and outsmart God. Please think again. You can't do it. But God has sent his son. And his son is a perfect savior. He and he alone can bear the weight of the wrath of God for you. The just for the unjust. The one who knew no sin, but became sin. So that you may become the righteousness of Christ, the man, Christ Jesus, the only mediator between God and man. I pray. Look, look to him. And that's all I got. I'm, I'm done actually really early. I,
Oh, it's not too early? Oh. Oh, man, I always thought we was done at 8 o'clock. I'm done, man. That's all I got, man. Yeah. Yeah, well, there was a lot more I could have went into, but I, I, felt, I felt like I wrote a lot. But, yo, know, reading it didn't really seem like a lot. <laughs> so, I mean, I'll do my best to, if we have any questions, if things weren't clear enough. Well, give me a question. No, you got to be on speaker thing. Okay, you ask Pastor then. Or you can ask later. Oh, ask after. Well, maybe nobody got a question. You got a question? I tried to. I tried to hit on, like, like I mean, really, like some of the questions and some of the study notes I was looking at. I mean, it, it's a lot. I mean, I probably could have read 30 minutes just reading from those questions and answers, right? So, but like I say, when I was writing, I looked, I said, man, 10 pages. I, I just thought it was a lot, so I wanted to cut it short. But it, it definitely, you know, it definitely is eye-opening. I mean, I didn't really, I, before even looking at this, I didn't think that God judged all sin the same, but it was good looking at the different degrees and the different reasons why and touching on like, you know, sins in themselves and sins that are aggra- of aggravation and those things. So, I mean, it was, it was interesting. Go ahead, Evelyn. Well, I, I don't necessarily know that, you know, God is trying to bring all men to the salvation of Christ in in that sense, because, I mean, he could easy well, easy well have done it. Right. I mean, he sent a prophet to Nineveh. Right. He could have sent a prophet to those guys as well. But in his good pleasure, he didn't choose to. Right. So and it's not necessarily saying that that passage is not even though it says that they would have repented. It's not saying that he wanted them to repent necessarily. Right. It's not what it says. It says they would have if those works that have been done in Bethsaida and Terizon have been done in them. Right. So it was really more of a judgment passage on those cities than saying, hey, I failed these other cities. Right. So I think that when we look at it, it was it was just kind of showing that judgment. I mean, because it, it, it even brings up Sodom. Right. And, you know, I mean, God did send angels to Sodom, but 
he sent them there for judgment. He didn't send them there to, you know, witness to him and preach the gospel to him. It does say if. Yeah, but the works were not done there, right? So, you know, um, and that's because God didn't choose to do them there, obviously. <laughs> Any other questions? There was one other one that was declaring the truth. On the James passage, on the guilty of all, I thought you handled that great. I just was a little on two marking out. The one versus all alike of these things versus being in a lamp. I thought about you, as a matter of fact. <laughs> if it wasn't 3 o'clock in the morning, I would have called you. <laughs> I was thinking, do you think to, how did he mention atonement? Because, like, you think, you quote that evangelism now, right? You say, well, I've never done this. You know, like, so I'm good on these. Like, I don't need Jesus to die for me. Like, almost like I'm making the difference. Synergistic heresy that they're not coming to Christ alone. So when you when you offer that up to someone and you say that in the context of Rick James's argument, still in his context of setting up the argument against the position of chapter two, right? Like you can offend at one point, but you're guilty of all in the sense of, you know, you still need atonement for your sins, right? Even though you've broken one, you're still No, no, I, absolutely. Christ, right? I, absolutely. I think the point that James is making also is that I mean, it's not that you're guilty of every single point of the law, right? But you're still guilty of breaking the law, right? If the law was our, if that's our contract that we, you know, I mean, it is a contract that we have with the Lord, right? It's, but I mean, we were just entered into it from birth, right? And God didn't ask us if we wanted to be a part of this contract. It's just, it just is what it is. And, and we see already that we're guilty through even the sins of Adam, but we continue to break that law. Right. Um, so I, I think that's the point. It's not necessarily that you're guilty of every single point on that law. And and I, I would say even to the degree that that James is not maybe even going into it like like Jesus when he said, like, well, you know, if you if you hate your brother, then you are a murderer. Right. I mean, I think James is specifically talking about a physical murder. Right. Because uh, he says, or, or adultery, right? Not, not thinking of a woman or lusting after a woman, but actually, because he said, you're not guilty of adultery, but you are murder, but you've still broken the law. The law is broken. You know, um, I, I'll give an example. I thought I liked this example. And this was, uh, as I was studying these things, I was listening to, uh, uh, Pastor Mike Winger. Um, and he, he gave an example of like a cup, you know, now he said, like, if you put a crack in the cup and, and it's a hole in it, right? You didn't break, you didn't shatter and break the whole, the whole cup, but it's still broken, right? You can't, you can't, I mean, it's broken. It's a broken cup. So. I think too, the Jewish audience is, it's how the spirit seems to always kind of hit all on the same points, like the concern of the ground, the same thing, where the Jews have this outward, like we got all this going for us, but then, like James says, no, you broke the whole you're guilty of it all, right? And then you're guilty of adultery, right? So yeah. You can see 
see the Lord just fleshing out that inward where our sins originate and where the guilt, you know, even though you may have never touched it, like you still, you still need to atone for your sins. You're not going to work your way to God. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that, uh, you know, like when we look at, uh, even, even Israel, right? And they looked at the Ten Commandments and he, he, he said with Israel that this was his covenant, right? It wasn't like pieces of a covenant. It was the covenant, right? So when we look at you breaking God's law, it's, it's just one whole piece. It's not like we can, can separate those things, even though, uh, there are different parts. You can break it in different spots, but you still break it. Nonetheless. And that's a really important doctrine, too, when you're considering this idea that all sins are not equally heinous, because I think people who push back against that doctrine, when you say, at least from your research, that the people who seem to be like against the idea that all sins are not actually the same are doing that because they're trying to avoid like a hierarchy of sinners in the kingdom where people think, oh, I sin, but my sins are like, you know, I gossip a little. And I love little white lies, but I'm not like one of those real sinners, you know. I think people who push back against this doctrine, they're trying to guard against that, but you don't have to. This, the scripture itself is going to show you that if you break the law, you move into the category of a lawbreaker. Of a lawbreaker, yeah, absolutely. And then you're ready to go. You know? Yeah, and, and I think also even outside the kingdom, right? It's like, uh, you know, like like I mentioned in the beginning, it's like we try to, especially in these days, right? We try to like flatten out these sins to where. Oh, you can't, Pastor Nick, you can't judge that homosexual, man. You've sinned too. Well, it's like, well, I mean, I didn't go and, and do those things that were like, that was one thing I wanted to touch on. And I can say it now. It's like, we look at even some of these sins, right? Like some things are, and it's not the person, but some things are redeemable in a sense, right? Like me and John talk about this often. You know, if a man was sleeping and living with his girlfriend, I mean, he can be redeemed and he can marry her, right? He can repent of his sins and marry her and they're no longer in sin. But that's not the same with a homosexual, right? You can't, you know, if, if, if a homosexual man was living with his lover, I mean, if you get saved, you can't redeem that. You can't marry that person and, and it be redeemed. You have to break it off completely. So, you know, I think even in that we see the difference, but they, I think that's one of the big arguments is because they want to make all these things the same. I'm really thankful for myself, especially because being brought back. That's what St. Tim, our old pastor, I mean, I don't know if Greg remembers this or not, but he used to make those arguments all the time. Well, we don't want different degrees of sinners in the kingdom. And he said, sin is sin. And I used to tell him, no, brother, sin is not just sin. There's a big difference between some sins and others, and it's nothing to do with, you know, someone being more or less righteous. It's just that God caused certain things in abomination. And when the homosexuality thing came out, and he started going to gay Christian thing, I was like, well, you've gone down a path of towards oblivion. And he said, well, pray for me when I'm not going to be But you already know. Yeah. But it starts out with this noble, oh, you know, I don't want it's a good thing to say, hey, you know, there's not these super sinners in the kingdom who are down here, and then these super saints are up here. But then when you don't make the distinction properly, what ends up happening is, it does. And, you know, I, I learned this from uh, uh, Pastor John MacArthur a long time ago. I actually don't even know if you guys would all agree with this, but he was uh, going through Romans 1. It was a message he did uh, when God forsakes a nation. And he began going through 
the, the list of sins. I know that some people look at those just as examples of things that happen, but you know, um, it started with that idolatry, right? It started with, uh, exchanging the, the glory of the creator and the, the, you know, uh, with the creature for the creator, right? So people begin to worship the creature is what I'm trying to say. And then, you know, they suppress the knowledge of God. And then as we move down, then we see things like rampant homosexuality coming into the picture. Right. And it may not even be that that Paul is trying to address it in that manner. But it is weird. It is strange to me or ironic, I should say, that as I think about even in our own society. Right. I mean, we begin to see people forsaking God. I mean, not, we're not saying the homosexuals didn't always exist. But as we begin to see people forsake God and turn to the creature, right, saying that, oh, man, is the end of all things. And then we just see sexual sins and perversions get worse and worse because, I mean, we just tell each other that we're just animals. Right. And this is what animals do. And and we see as it went perversion. You know, I always look at sometimes they say it turned over the natural use of a woman. Right. I mean, I guess that could be a, a lot of things, but. I always think the natural use of a woman is to be a wife and a mother. Right. And they turned that over and they burned after lust for them, for for each other, you know, and, and women likewise begin to lust after each other. But it was like I, it just kind of tripped. Even in our society, as I've seen that progression, like people forsake God and then we start seeing it move into rampant things. We can't even like like I said earlier, we can't even define what a man is, right? It's, you can be anything you want to be if there's no God. It's such a wicked progression. Growing up in the city, watching all these, you know, my mother used to teach at the university, my dad hated the feminist movement. And he just used to look at my mother and say, I don't want you around the good guys. You know, and I'd be like, what is the good guys? <laughs> but a lot of that, there's a connection to those sins, right? It's like, what has the feminist done? They've forsaken the use, the natural use of the woman, right? And they, another thing that we probably mentioned was women in leadership. It's another, when God is judging the nation, right? Yeah. You see all these women rising to power. It's the same type of concept. And then where does it end up? Lust, burning after another. I mean, it's just, uh, I can't remember what that's called. It says, uh, you know, the sin just leads to more sin. Yeah. We got you, but when we turn it off, I'll, I'll, I'll get you a question. Any other questions while the microphone's running? No? All right. So um, I guess we'll just finish up with prayer. My question. What? Is the mic still on? <laughs> Gracious Father, we come before you, Lord, just thanking you again for the grace that you've shown us. Lord, uh, we know that you are a just God, Lord God, and you do dish out retribution, Lord God, to those who deserve it, Lord. Um, and we would deserve it, Lord, if it wasn't for your son, Jesus Christ, who had taken our sins and took them to the cross with him, Lord God, and paid for them in his blood. So, dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, coming to be the mediator between God and man. And we pray that all who may hear this message, Lord God, would turn also to that son, Jesus Christ, to pay for their sins as well, Lord. So, Lord, we just thank you and we give you all the glory and praise in Jesus name.
Amen.